That second song was really good. Just God's presence. And uh, just love, love these guys. Love their heart for, for worship. So good to uh, uh, have Pastor, uh, Pastor Mike Lee, his wife April, from Alma, uh, Georgia. Amen. Raise your hand. They're sitting up here on the front row with us. We, uh, Pastor Mike and uh, myself as well, we're working with my son at Paramount Benefits Group. And uh, and we just got to know one another through that, and getting to know one another, and had the uh, company Christmas party last night, and uh, so they were going to stay over. So we're honored, Pastor Mike, to have you and your wife with us today. Amen. Look over at somebody and give them a big smile this morning. Tell them welcome, welcome to Grace Point Church. Hallelujah. We're glad you're here. John chapter one. If you want to read with us, then then we'll let you. Be seated in a moment. Read uh, with me John chapter 1, verses 10 through 14. And uh, it says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. They didn't receive him because they didn't recognize him. They didn't know who he was. But as many as received him, you still got to receive him. He comes, but you've got to receive him. But to many as received him, to them he gave the right. That, that word right there is exousia, the authority, to become children of God. They even sung that this morning about I am a child of God. If we really understood what that meant, it would just change everything. And it says he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory and the glory as of the only begotten of the father and look at this full of what grace and truth that's why we talk about grace so much grace is not a doctrine or a teaching or an emphasis it is a person and his name's Jesus. Jesus didn't come to teach us grace. He came to be grace for us. Amen. And uh, so today I, I was telling uh, Pastor Johanna last night, I said, okay, and here's, here's you a title today. I was wondering what she did. Let's see the title screen. Can y'all put that up? And uh, Jesus Christ and Charlie Chaplin. Yeah, they got him right there. Look at him peeking around the end. Uh I would say to you, I've never used this for a sermon title. I, Pastor John knows I hate trying to come up with a title. And uh, sometimes if I do, I try to find a title that, as this goes out on social media, would cause people to be interested enough to give it a few minutes to listen. So what in the world could Jesus Christ and Charlie Chaplin have in common? Well, um, let me just say this. Uh, Charlie Chaplin... And this is true. He uh, he once entered a Charlie Chaplin uh, lookalike contest and he lost. <laughs> this is true. This happened in 1975 over in France, and uh, he's one of the most recognizable people on the planet. Still is today. And yet he entered into this contest for a Charlie Chaplin lookalike, and they didn't pick him. He lost the contest. And you got to think about this. you got judges that are looking over these, these people that entered into the contest, and they are scrutinizing them to see how much they favor and look like Charlie Chaplin, and he lost. 
He's standing right there in their presence, and they did not recognize him. They did not recognize him. Now, how many already knows what Charlie Chaplin and Jesus Christ have in common? God the Son is standing right in front of his children, and they are looking at him, and they do not recognize him. They don't recognize him. Somebody said, you know, I read about this, and I, this is what made me kind of head down this trail. I was reading this a few weeks ago, and um, they said that all the people that pretty much knew or their paradigm for Charlie Chaplin was black and white film, right? Probably most of everything that we've seen of Charlie Chaplin, if not the entirety of it, has been black and white film. And uh, yet Charlie Chaplin in the real person had, they said, brilliant blue eyes. And that was one reason they didn't pick him, because his eyes were just too blue. Because they were going back to what they thought they knew he looked like, which was a black and white film image. But when the real Charlie Chaplin was standing in front of them, they didn't recognize him. Because you know why? The main reason is they didn't expect Charlie Chaplin to show up at a Charlie Chaplin lookalike contest. Listen, and you see, you and I, we see what we expect to see. I said, we see what we expect to see. So if you don't expect to see God do anything today, then very likely we won't see God do anything. And is it God's fault? No. For the Spirit of the Lord would say unto thee this morning that even as Zerubbabel stood before that mountain, know that I stand before you today to ask the power of my presence to flow through you, to remove those obstacles and those hindrances that would prevent from building that thing that I've called thee to build. God's in this place, man. See, but what do we expect? What do we expect? Hey, man, I'm going to tell you, it's easy. It's easy to get in a routine. Well, what do we expect? Well, we expect to hear some singing. Brother Dale's going to preach, and then we're going to go and leave. Try to get out before the rain gets here. Is that what we expect? I mean, I wonder, you know, I, I asked somebody one time, you know, they, they went to Benny Hinn's meeting. I'm not here to d debate Benny Hinn with you or anything like that, but I'm just saying, the reality of that in those Colosseum meetings, people got healed. And can I tell you, it wasn't because Benny Hinn was there. Because Jesus was there. But I will tell you the difference is that they came expecting. They weren't going to buy a plane ticket and fly all the way across the country and get a hotel and spend their money and go there and just go, well, I wonder how much longer this is going to last. When will this be over? No, they went in there, didn't care how long it lasted, but they went in there with an expectation that God was going to do something. And God met them at their level of faith. He, he met them where, they, where their faith extends. See, it, God will meet us to where we and expect him. Now, God doesn't do it like we think he's going to do it. But at least the blind man laid at the temple gate that was called beautiful, it says he was expecting to receive something of them. 
Now, he got what he didn't expect. He got more than he expected. He was just looking for some little bit of money. But he got totally healed. God will always do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that we think or believe. Because that's just who he is. That's just, that's just who he is. And so I, I just want to talk to you about that today. Amen? Anybody interested in that? <laughs> all right. Father, whew, thank you. Your presence has been so manifested since the first song. And we love and appreciate you, and we don't take that for granted. And, Father, we pray today that by the power of your spirit, you'd confirm your word with signs following. Open our eyes and our expectation again to believe for the unbelievable, to see what's unseeable with the natural eyes. And, Father God, just wreck our boxes, our, our paradigms. Help us not to miss you when you're standing right in front of us. Help us to see you because we're looking for you. We're expecting the manifestation of your power and your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. You know, a lot of what we see in the Bible is what we expect to see when we pick up the Word of God, and I hope you pick it up. The sad reality is most people don't. That's not a condemnation, not a beating you up. It's just a reality. People don't know what the Word says. And you would think in this time where we've got, we could have, you know, 25 translations of the Bible on our iPhones, we, we, but we just don't know. Uh, but let me just say it like this. If you believe the Bible is full of rules that you got to keep, then guess what you'll see when you pick up the Bible? You'll see it as a rule book. You'll, you'll find a rule to keep on every page you read. If you see that the Bible is about you working hard to avoid sin so that you can please God, then on every page of that Bible you read, you'll find sin to avoid and things you need to do. And you'll focus on what you need to do instead of what Jesus has already done. And, and, and you'll be reading the same Bible that I'm reading, but you'll have a total different come away from what you, your time with God and his word. Because we, we, we see what we expect to see. I know uh, one of my elders many years ago at the church I pastored and started, they, you know, I've never really been fond of any snake. I didn't care if it's poisonous, non-poisonous. They all cause me to hurt myself. And I'm not interested in being around a snake in any way. And so when I would go into the woods and the swamp where there's snakes, guess what I'm looking for? I'm looking for snakes. And so my friend told me, he said, that's why you see them. And I said, well, that's right. I want to see them. I want to see them before they see me. You know? But he said, you wouldn't see them and just, if you just go and walk and go where you want to go and stop looking for them. And that's a lesson in that. You, you see what you, what you believe to see. And 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 way faith operates in our lives, a lot of times we don't see. So if you don't believe God heals anymore, guess what? You're probably never going to experience healing. Because your thought, your belief tells you that God doesn't heal anymore. You heard somebody say that one day, and so you believe that, and so that's it affects what you see, and it even affects not only what you see, but what you look for. And so if if you believe that you got to do all these things to please God like I did, and when I come up in church, you know, you know, it's like 
you, you spend all this effort and strength, and I still see it today, and I still hear it occasionally, not as often as I used to. But if you look in Hebrews chapter 11, let's just read verse 6 first. Verse 6 says, but without faith, this is what? It is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. Now, not that he was, not that he will be, but that he is. And there's a difference. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Diligently means earnestly, sincerely. In other words, truthfully, honestly. In other words, you're not playing games. You're, you're, you're coming to God because you believe he is God. Because you don't believe he can help you, you know he can. And, and, but when, when I was growing up in church and I would hear that verse quoted, I would read that. To me, that was a works verse. That was, that was I, couldn't, I never really felt like I pleased God, and I couldn't please God because I didn't have enough faith. And the reason I didn't have enough faith is because it was my fault. And I was always under that anvil of that weight, of that, that, that pressure to try to, to please God, never really feeling like I did, and I didn't feel like I ever you know, sought him diligently enough. If I fasted one day, I, I left the prayer cabin that I had built for the, for the spend time with God feeling like I should have done three days. If I prayed one hour, I should have prayed four hours. You know what I mean? There, there was never enough. You, you, you never went away and say, well, I've done, you know, I've done, you know, I'm, me and, I'm great. I never had that feeling. That's the feeling of religion. It's, it's a performance based. And, and, and so when you read verse 6 and you just pull verse 6 out and you use it in that way or, or that's, your, that's your thought pattern, that's what you expect, that's how you see that verse. But if you look at the verse above it in Hebrews 11 and 5, this is the verse right above it. So let's look at the context. It says, by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. He was not found because God had taken him for before he was taken he had this testimony. And this was Enoch's testimony that he pleased God. Now, if you want to cause some trouble, just go into your nearest mall and walk up to somebody and say, I just want you to know that I please God. And you're going to be in a lot, and you'll find out very quickly how religious they are. Because, in fact, uh, some of you guys, uh, didn't you guys make me a shirt? Y'all made me a shirt. I I was looking for that thing. I started to wear it this morning. And uh, they made me a shirt that says, I please God. And uh, I couldn't find it. I was going to wear it. Just, it says, I please God. And uh, if you wear, if, you know, that's what I said. And I said that in that message when I was talking about this. And this is not, I, I don't have time to spend a lot of time on this. But if you walked around with a shirt that says, I please God, I mean, that's just going to tick people off. It's going to be like, how dare you say you please God? As a pastor, you know, for 26 years now, people come in my office and, and, you know, they'll be whatever going through and crying. I just want to please the Lord, brother Dale. Man, that is so common. I just want to please the Lord. And, and I used to, you know, and I, I'd say we all do and whatever. But now if, when and if somebody says that, I go, wait a minute, let me just stop this and let's get the focus off you for a second. I want to ask you a question. Does Jesus please God? Do, do you think that Jesus pleases God? I ask you that. Do you believe that Jesus pleases God? Do you believe that God is pleased with Jesus? All right, God put you in Christ so he could treat you like Jesus. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. He not will be when he dies. He is right then, a new creation. Why? Because God put him in Christ. He was born again. God made him new. Old things passed away. All things become new. What became new? Your spirit. 
The Bible says your spirit became perfected, perfect. I, I, I aggravate people. I'm, you know, these are all sermons in themselves. But I said only perfect people are going to heaven. The people that try hard is not going to make it. God's, God's requirement is perfection. God's requirement is holiness. Holiness is not a denomination. Holiness is a gift. Ephesians 4.24, he says, put on the new man, which was, past tense, created in true righteousness and holiness. When did that creation happen? When you got born again. It was not something you achieved, it's something you received by faith. The Bible says righteousness is a gift. Holiness is a gift. You don't earn it, you don't achieve it, therefore you don't, you don't unearn it if you do things that's unrighteous or unholy. Because you didn't earn it in the first place. And if it, the Bible in Romans said it's the gift of righteousness, if it's a gift, it means you didn't earn it. And if it's a gift, you can't unearn it. And if it's a gift, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. He does not remove gifts that he gives you. And the gift that he gave you when you got born again was the gift of Christ's righteousness, and he accredited that to you. Amen? That's, that's, that's the truth. But yet so many of us don't know that, and we don't believe that, because many times we don't feel righteous. Many times... We don't do righteous things. But our righteousness is not based on how we feel. It's based on what we believe and in more than that in whom we believe. The righteousness of Christ was gifted to you. And so you, you, you got to see that Enoch had this testimony that he pleased God. Now I want you to think about this guy Enoch. This guy said, I please God, yet Enoch did not have a new birth experience. The Holy Spirit did not indwell him. He was not born again. He was like Abraham in the Bible. He was, he, he was looking forward to that day, and, and he saw Jesus' day, and he was glad. So I want to ask you this. What is it that that verse says pleases God? It's faith. But it's not faith in faith. It's faith in a person. It's faith in Jesus. That's, that's the only thing that pleases God. What you do, it's not what, let me ask you this. When, when your son or daughter was born in the hospital, what did that baby have to do to please you? Nothing. Just be there. The fact they were born, that pleases you. That child pleases you. Why? Because it's your child. It is, you being pleased with that child has no basis on what that child does or does not do. That child pleases you because it's your child. So it is with God. God's pleased with you. You got to understand that, you know, this is so hard for us to understand that Jesus is like that prototype for us when, when he, at his baptism service. you got to understand, this guy's 30 years old. He's a blue-collar worker. He works in a carpenter shop. Now he runs it for himself because his dad's dead, and he's never preached anything. He's not even a candidate for the ministry because he's in the wrong priesthood. For, in other words, he's not a candidate. He's not of the tribe of Levi, and you could not be in the ministry unless you was of a Levite of the tribe of Levi, of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so Jesus is not even of that tribe. He's a line of the tribe of Judah. So he comes from a kingly line as far as the tribe, but he's not even a candidate to be in the ministry. Nobody even gives him a second look. He doesn't have the pedigree. He doesn't have the papers. You see how God is trying to say, I want this thing to be totally different? Yet he's not a candidate for the Levitical Old Covenant priesthood, but he's an entirely new priesthood that predates the Levitical priesthood. He's the Melchizedek priesthood. He's an unending, never-ending priesthood. He's the only priesthood that ever did his job and then sat down. 
And the reason he sat down because he was finished. The reason the Levites never sat down because they were never finished. They were always offering the blood of animals and goats, which was not possible to perfect men nor remove their sins. Amen? So here's Jesus. He's not preached a sermon. Regards to what you might have thought or heard, Jesus could do no miracles. Jesus was not a baby floating on the water, walking across his bathtub water. I hear those jokes all the time. No way. Jesus couldn't do any miracles and then had, and up to this point had not done a miracle. Let me ask you this. Jesus had his dad. We know who his real father is, but he had Joseph, right? You don't think he loved Joseph? That's the only earthly dad he ever knew. He sure loved his mom. We see Joseph and Mary together when he's 12, so we know he's alive up to that point. But somewhere between there and the time that Jesus turns 30, Joseph dies. Scripture's silent on how and why. But if Jesus could do miracles, don't you think he would have done that one? And if you're going to do one, now it's time to pull it out. Let's do one now. Instead of, instead of burying our dad, and seeing his mom and his brothers and sisters all tore all to pieces and, and going back to the house and now no longer being called the son of a carpenter but the carpenter himself because he was the oldest of the family. Now the responsibility falls to him. He couldn't do no miracles. Why couldn't he do them? Same reason we can't do them. You only can do them if you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And at 30, he got that empowerment. He got that empowerment. And what God said to him when he walked into that water to be baptized, he said, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, a lot of us will go, well, we're his son, but we use the same talk that Satan did in the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Remember when Jesus got through getting baptized, he was led of the Spirit into the wilderness there to be tempted and tested of the, the devil for 40 days. And that's shattering the 40, days, the 40 years that Israel spent, and that's a whole other deal. But the point is this, Satan comes to him and he says, now the Bible says at the baptism, God spoke audibly from heaven and everybody around heard it. Now everybody heard it, but they didn't recognize it. Some said it thundered. Some would hear God's voice and they go, that ain't God, that's just thunder. And there will always be people in the church and around us that will give a natural explanation for a supernatural occurrence. And they'll try to figure out, well, the, the, Lord, the waters didn't really divide when Moses crossed and there was six inches of water. Well, that's even like you heard before, a bigger miracle because God drowns you know, horses and chariots in six inches of water. Still God. Not that I believe that. The, 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 the Bible says they crossed on dry ground. <laughs> okay. But Satan says to Jesus, if you are. The son of God. Well, God just said he was. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I will please hear ye him. And then Satan turns right around and says, if you are. So you get born again before you get to your car. Satan says, if, if you did get born again, you wouldn't have cussed like that when you stepped, stumped, you told, whatever. It's always if. He's questioning what you believe about what you've said happened. If you are the son of God. I went for decades, and you know this, a lot of you have heard me say this, but I never saw this. Satan misquoted what God said. God didn't say Jesus was his son. He said he was his beloved son. Now, a lot of you will, will go, hey, man, you're, I'm the son of God. 
but you don't know you're the beloved son or daughter of God. That you be loved. That you're always in the process of being beloved by your father, no matter what you do. You're loved by God. Now, why would Satan, who knew better, intentionally leave out that one word, beloved? Why did he not quote it right and say, if you are the beloved son of God, command these stones that they be made bread? Why leave that word out? Because it's only people that don't know that 24-7 they are loved by God that are a target for the temptation of the enemy. If you doubt that, if you question that, and if you don't believe that you're loved by God, then you, you're a target. Because you've got that gap in your theology that tells you that God's love for you is based on how people in this, in, in this you know, fickle world love is. You do good, they love you good. You do bad, they don't care you. You know, if they can use you for something, they use you. If they don't, you, I mean, you, you know, you know, they'll say that person's no use to me. Because you don't use them up or you don't want to use them or don't see any value or dignity or, or, or worth in them. But God's not like us. Thank God. He's not like us. He's not like us at all. He's not like us. God doesn't have love for you. God is love for you. It's, it's, just, it's just different. Just totally different than how we view. So listen to me. He said, if you are the son of God, he left out that intentionally. And you, you, you have to know that, that God didn't lie. And, and, and listen, this is the interesting thing. God said, I, I love you. You're my son, and I'm pleased with you. And he'd never preached done anything religious that healed anybody. In other words, God's love for you is not based on your religious performance or how much you work at the church or what you do or this and that. God's love for you has no bearing on why we were yet sinners. God demonstrated his love for us by dying for us. So his love for you has been consistent even before you ever called his name or believed in his name. God's love is there. And, and, and listen, and when you go beyond just saying amen to me saying that, and you really believe that deep in every fiber of your being, your whole world's going to change. You're not going to have problems with depression, oppression. You, you're not going to have problems with that. Now, now if, if faith is what it takes to please God, and if this old covenant guy Enoch, who was not born again, could please God, then how much more with us in the new covenant that do have the born again experience I mean, how much confidence should we have in, in that, we, that we are pleasing to God? So that way, don't ever come in my office and say, well, I just want to please the Lord. See, because if you're trying to please the Lord, then you're striving in something that you'll never achieve. And how do you know when you've pleased him? You know, I find out that people are always trying to please God. They never have, and they never know when they achieve it because they never receive. They, they, they don't. They're, in other words, their whole Christian life is spent with that uh, un satisfiable task of trying to please the Lord. I just want to please the Lord, brother. Well, what, how many benevolent deeds do you have to do to please God? How much money do you have to give away? How many church services do you have to go to? How many Bibles do you have to read? How many hours in prayer? See, you don't even know. And so there's no, you can't, you can't win that one. What you do is you believe the Bible. And you believe that God says you're pleasing to me. And then you just rest in it. Rest in him. And you just go knock it off religion, and I'm not listening to you, devil. And I'm not playing your games, and I'm not participating in any of your fake sports. It's like trying to ring the basketball without the rim on the backboard. You can spend all day in there, but you're never going to get two points. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're just going to end up being sweaty and tired. And that's what religion does to us. 
Now, any preacher that's worth his weight in salt, as they say, will tell you that you need to read the Bible in context, in proper context. Well, let me ask you this. What is the context of the Word of God? When you read the Bible, what is the proper context? Okay, here it is. You ready? Jesus. See how hard that was? Jesus is the context for reading the Bible. And if you don't read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation with the context of Jesus, then you're going to be conned by the text. The purpose of the Bible is to reveal Jesus. I grew up thinking the book of Revelation was the revelation of the Antichrist. Because that's all I ever heard about it. Or the mark of the beast or this and that. I, I mean, I never saw Jesus in Revelation because the people that was teaching it to me never saw Jesus in Revelation. Yet the first four verses, the first four words of the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. But if so, if you read the book of Revelation and all you see is tribulation and, and, and mark of the beast and devils and demons, then you ain't reading the Bible right. You need to get you some S-O-N glasses, some sunglasses to read the Bible. <laughs> you need some sunglasses. <laughs> you need to read the Bible in the context of what, where is Jesus in this. And, and if you think I'm lying to you, man, listen, when Jesus was walking down that road, or those disciples of Emmaus, and I think it's Luke 24. So they, they're walking away. They're leaving Jerusalem. They're leaving the, the epicenter of the resurrection because they don't believe in the resurrection. They believe this whole thing's gone to hell in a handbasket. And they're leaving Jerusalem, and they are sad. Another word for it, they are in depression. Why are they depressed? Because of what they believe or because of what they expected to see and didn't see, or what they expect, and they, their expectations were not met. Therefore, they are walking in depression. The Bible calls it sadness. Now, here comes Jesus. He, he draws near to them, and the Bible says in the, in the New King James, it says their eyes were restrained. Now, I've said under preaching where preachers have preached to me that God did that. That is dumb as dirt. The whole purpose of Jesus, who is God in the flesh, drawing near to them was to cause them to see him. He's not trying to cloak himself in mystery. You know, well, you know, the Lord moves in mysterious ways. It never says that in the Bible. Men say that. And just because it's mysterious to you, but it's not mysterious to God. Do you know that God is not supernatural? See how that went over? God's not supernatural, no. God's natural. God's just naturally super. I'm, I'm not trying to play games. I'm just telling you, God don't go like, well, I need to do something supernatural here, so I'll do this. No, God just is God. Everything God does to us is supernatural. God's just being himself. He can't help himself. He's just being him. So God's not like, okay, well, I'm going to do something natural here. And no, God's, God's just being God. So he draws near to these two depressed disciples. One reason they're depressed is because they're commiserating with one another. The Bible calls it, said they reason among themselves. You ever heard that word commiserate? It means we've got a common misery. And let's talk about it. <laughs> That's what it means. So they're, they're, they have this common sadness, birds of a feather. Yeah, and so you got these, they're, they're, they're reasoning among themselves why things didn't turn out like God, you know, what they thought. 
and they're walking along. This stranger to them draws near. Their eyes are restrained. Now, what is it, what is it that has restrained their eyes? Their expectations. They're limiting God. Their belief. Because your belief affects what you see. You don't believe it, you don't see it. So Jesus is so kind. I love that story. He's talking to them, listening to them. He says, now what is this that you're talking about as you, as you walked along the way? And then one of the guys looks at him and like, literally he just says, are you a stranger? In other words, are you a tourist? Are you not from around here? Have you not heard? Uh, and, and then if y'all have the verses, I think uh, I want you to see in Luke 20, 416, they, don't, they probably can't get this one up in fast. Listen to the Message Bible of Luke 24, 16. The Message Bible translation says, but they were not able to recognize who he was. They were not able to recognize who he was. Why? Because God didn't want, no, because of their belief system. So in verse 16, their eyes were restrained. They didn't know him. And then uh, Jesus says, what kind of conversation is it you had with one another as you walk and are sad? You know why you're sad? You know why you're walking in depression, walking in? It's because of what you believe. If you believed you was a child of God, like we sung, I am a child of God, really. Why? I mean, so you're saying God's your daddy then. You said in one of the songs, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy. You know, the most important question you'll ever be asked is, who's your daddy? <laughs> really? Who's your daddy? Father God. I told you last Sunday, nobody had ever saw God as Father until Jesus came. He came to show us the Father. And then down in verse 21 of Luke 24, it says, that this is, this, these guys talking, listen to what they say, but we were hoping. You know, that's where a lot of the church is. They were hoping. They ain't hoping no more. They've lost hope. Lost hope in what? Lost hope in seeing miracle, power, signs, wonders, you know, end time move of God, loved ones saved. Just lost. We were hoping. We were hoping. We're not hoping now, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel, but we're not hoping it anymore, but we were hoping that, but we're not hoping it now. That's why you're sad. Indeed, besides all this, today's the third day since these things have happened, and so, you know, time's gotten away from us. It's too late now. I'm not as young as I used to be. I'm too old. Next verse, yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb, they astonished us with their preaching that he was resurrected. But, you know, women can't preach, you know, because we don't believe in women preachers, so therefore we didn't believe anything they said. Y'all just let me know when I say anything that's, because we all know that women can't preach the gospel and they're not supposed to and be silent and let the men talk and just sit there and, you know. And so, but, if, but if that's your paradigm, you know, here a while back I, I told Pastor Hunt, I said, I want you to preach, you know, and I'm going to be out of town, I want you to preach, you know. And, and uh, she was just so, you know, sweet about it. And I, I said, she's like, yeah. And I said, yeah. I said, we can't have these people thinking women can't preach. I, I'm not going to have a culture like that. I guess God didn't know what he was doing, messing around, called a woman to preach. God didn't know she was a woman. See, down in verse 30, it said, Now it came to pass that as he sat at the table with them, with these guys, he took bread, he blessed and broke it, and he gave it to them. 
Now, I want to tell you something. That right there, they saw something similar. Now, he's doing a natural thing, and sometimes you've got to do a natural thing before anybody ever awakens to the spiritual thing. And he took that bread. They've seen that before. He took the fish. He did it exactly the same. He took it. He blessed it. He broke it, and he gave. They go, oh, man, there's a pattern right here. This smells like God to me. This guy sitting at the table with them, and then it says this, next verse. Then their eyes were opened. Because God just opened them? No, because they finally got begin to shift their paradigm in what they were expecting. They, they, they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. Man, you've got to love that exit. It says he vanished, disappeared. It's like as soon as they recognize that it's God in the flesh eating at the table with them and their eyes are open and they go, you're Jesus, and poof, he's gone. And then they're like, that really was Jesus, man. That really was Jesus. Did you see him disappear? Why did he disappear? Because they don't need him anymore to be manifesting in that way. I just want an angel to come. You don't need one. If you need one, God will send one. When Mary gave birth and, and conceived the Christ, the Bible said that God sent an angel to her. And then what we forget about this little Jewish girl, she didn't have an audience, even her own husband, a spouse to be husband, did not believe a word of her testimony. And so now, the, and, and I love this verse, it says, and the angel departed. Gabriel departed. What, how do you live your life after the angel departs? Same way you lived it before, by faith. Well, I just wish the Lord would send me a miracle. Well, God's already sent you the biggest miracle of all, and that's his son Jesus. And God's given you the faith to see him if you'll just open your eyes and believe. Now, if, if you need more than that, God's going to send you more than that. God's not trying to restrain himself. Remember Thomas? How, now, what does the church know that dude is? It never says that in the Bible. But because of one episode, he gets a sticker put on him. And from here to the end of time, he's known as Doubting Thomas. Oh, Doubting Thomas. Don't be a Doubting Thomas. The guy's got one verse in one moment where he doubted. And he's got ten verses where he proclaimed the word of God and, the, and who he was. And all. Nobody quotes him on none of those. They, listen, all of us, everybody in this room, all of us, have moments in our life that if you took that snapshot right in that moment, we're going to look faithless, we're going to look like devils, we're going to look like heathens, we're going to look like anything but a godly person. Sometimes you've got to burn the Polaroids. You've got to burn those images that you captured on my worst moment. And don't look at me like that, man. We've all got them. We've got them. You go look back in your family album, like, my God, did I wear clothes like that? <laughs> did I do my hair like that? I look back, you know, in, the, in some of the pictures, you know, sometimes with, sometimes they'll go in the album. I don't really like to look at the picture because I don't know, it just, I'm just weird and, you know, need deliverance, but it makes me sad to look at my kids when they were, it just makes me sad. We got all these VHS videos, I don't ever watch any of them because if I put them on, I'm crying. And I don't like to cry. I won't even go see a movie. If I know there's crying in the movie and somebody's dying, I ain't going. <laughs> don't ask me to go with you. I'm not going. If they die, and I, I mean, I'm, I, that's not what I'm going to pay good money for. I'm going to pay to leave feeling better than I went in. <laughs> okay? So I'm pretty much, uh, you know, uh, 
maybe mystery, thriller, or comedy, that's, that's the limit of my movie watching. I'm not going to watch the person die of a disease. And my wife knows I, I have enough sadness in my own life that I don't even, you know, I don't need to add to it from the outside, you know. But if that's your deal, makes you feel good to cry, get your tissues and go. By the way, why do you cry at a movie? It's just a movie. Because what you see affects how you feel. People go to them horror movies, they come out of the movie, they can't even make it to that parking lot of their car without looking over their shoulder. Think somebody, somebody's going to get them before they get to the car. <laughs> Why? Because they just had two hours of that, you know. I wonder how different our eyes would, would view if we just had two hours of the Word of God. What would we look for, expect, believe for, pray for? Bible says that, that after he vanished, they said in verse 32, they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road? And as he opened the scripture to us, I, I pray this is the case to, for all of us. But have you, has your heart got so hardened by the things you've gone through, the hurts you've suffered, the religion, that your heart no longer burns when the man or woman of God opens up the scriptures? I mean, do you still have heartburn in a good kind? Do you, does your heart still burn for the things of God? Is it like I get to go to church or I got to go to church? I get to pray or I got to pray? Or, or It's just a whole different view. And if you say, man, honestly, I just have to be honest, man, and say my heart don't, I can't find my heart burning a long time. I mean, just like today, you know, I, I, you know, part of me, I, I'm just human, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, oh, God, you know, they're forecasting rain. It's Thanksgiving weekend. It'll just be me and Jill in Crawford. It's a, it's a, it'll, I, mean, I mean, it'll just be a handful of us, my God. You know, and there's that voice, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't spend a whole lot of time preparing because there ain't going to be many people there. I wouldn't. I was sitting there on that front row today, man. I was thinking, man, I mean, one time I drove, we drove, when I was evangelist for six years, we drove to a four-square church, and I preached to six people, and I got a $5 offering. Is that the truth, Jill? I didn't have a good impression of four-square homeless people after that service. They, they were six people. That means one person didn't give a dollar. <laughs> See, I don't even give a dollar about this man, him preaching. I'm, so five of the six gave one dollar. Uh, we couldn't even get a hamburger on the way home. Hauled my wife and three babies at that time, little kids. And I was sitting here today, and the mission, the team, they got that second song. Boy, she just kept milking that thing. She just kept milking that song. Man, it was so good. It was so good. Like when in those moments, it's almost like scary because you know what's like mm, ground shaking here now. And and I and I felt the presence of the Lord. And you did too. The, the, the manifested presence of God. Now the reality is I know He's always here and He's always in me and He's always with me and He's always for me. That's why people they'll read like Revelation, you know, the messages to the churches. And one of those churches, he says, you know, John says, I, you know, I, I saw the Lord, but he had seen him before, but now he's seeing him in his glorious uh, state, and 
He says, I saw the Lord and I saw him. I saw this one standing as the Son of God among the, the, the lampstand. And, and, he, and then he tells us the lampstand are the churches. And so people read that. Well, what do you see? What I see when I read Revelation now is I see Jesus because I'm looking for Jesus in every verse. And what I see is Jesus is in the church, which I'm, I'm the church. I'm the church. The church is not an organization or a building. Or, and so that makes me see Jesus is with me, he's for me, and he's always here. He's walking among the candlestick. He's walking among the lampstand, in other words. He's always here. So when I read Revelation, I don't come away from Revelation with Antichrist and demons and devils and end time and torture and beheadings. I, I, come, I come away with Jesus because that's the purpose of the book. And if you read the Bible and you come away from the reading of the Bible, anything but, but Jesus, you've missed the purpose of the book. Because when these guys were walking on the road to Emmaus, remember what Jesus said? He said, it says, beginning with Moses and the prophets, Jesus expounded to them himself in the scriptures in all the scriptures he this is Christ preaching Christ to them I can't wait to get to heaven and check out that CD this is Jesus preaching Jesus from the Old Testament so from Genesis to Malachi Jesus used the old covenant and he preached himself to those two disciples so that means that that's the purpose of the book of the old covenant is to, to, to unveil and to reveal Jesus Christ to us and if you see, and so if the old covenant is a revelation of Jesus Christ, then Matthew to Revelation is absolutely a revelation. And so it's like in the old covenant, Jesus concealed; in the new covenant, Jesus revealed. And 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 that's what the Word of God. And if you if you read the Bible and you don't see that, if you don't see, if you don't read the context with Jesus in mind, then here's what you're going to do to me. Well, what about Job? What about Job? I get so sick. Boy, if I had a dollar every time I heard that one. What about Job? Well, what about him? I'm not a disciple of Job. I'm a disciple of Jesus. Job was an incomplete, I didn't say wrong, incomplete revelation of, of Jesus. I told you last Sunday, what if the only verse you ever read in your life about Jesus is him beating the money changers and turning over the table? That's the only verse you ever heard or read or knew anything about Jesus Christ was that one image in Scripture. You had the Bible. Somebody tore out that page. That's all you got. And what you see of Jesus is he goes in there. He makes a weapon. That's contemplated. You know, that's first degree. He makes a weapon. He goes in there. He turns over the table. He beats there, you know, drives them out, you know, like animals. And that's the only thing you know about Jesus. Your view of Jesus is going to be pretty messed up because you're going to see him as vengeful, angry, you know, and destructive. Is it an inaccurate view? No. It's incomplete. It's like a jigsaw puzzle, 30,000 pieces. You've got one piece trying to make a determination of what Jesus is like. Brother, there's a whole lot more pieces you ain't seen yet. And when we get all of it on the table, it's going to be a big picture, and it's going to be a nice picture, and it's going to be a different picture than you thought. Amen? Stand to your feet with me, please. Can I just say to you today, and I'm saying to me, what, what, what are you seeing? What do you expect? I feel like I want to talk about this some more next Sunday. But, but what, what, what do you expect to see? And, and, and what if our expectation changed with what we actually saw change and what we see change? Could we see what God has done, but not just that, but what he is doing? I want to tell you something. God still is doing stuff. God still moves in my life. 
your life. I told you some of you some months ago, my air conditioner went out of my home. It's been a real challenging year for me and my wife, financially in a lot of ways. I don't know if you've ever had challenges like that, but I sure have. It's been one of them years. I ain't going to be crying when 2019 waves bye-bye. I'm going to be like, good riddance. Now, God's been with me every bit of it. There's been challenges, health challenges. I thought 2018 was bad enough, open heart surgery. That wasn't no picnic. I'm like a brother needs a break. <laughs> you know, 2019 was pretty tough because some of those things resulted in financial challenges. Not only my own life and the life of this church, that adds pressure to you. It's like, come on. Thought you to God are more than enough. We here with not enough. How do you how do you rationalize all that? How do you how do you make that fit? Okay, God, you're the God of more than enough, but I don't have enough. Now you gotta help us out here. And you go through those times like that, and, and, and if you're not careful, then you get to choose the path that you're going to walk on then. And if you choose the wrong path, you're going to be like those guys. You're going to be sad. You're going to walk in sadness. You're going to walk in depression. And you're actually walking from the opposite place that God wants you to. God really wants you to hang around and enjoy resurrection in Jerusalem, but you're seven miles away. You've missed it by seven miles. But I love when they got the revelation of who he was. The Bible says immediately they returned to Jerusalem. It'll, it'll cause you to go on the about face, to go, I, mean, I do believe, let's get back to Jerusalem. We're missing the party. Because when they got back to Jerusalem for 40 days, they got saints and grandmas and people that had been buried, you know, hundreds of years ago. Joseph is walking around the streets of Jerusalem. That's why he begged them not to leave his bones in Egypt. Because he saw resurrection morning. He saw the power of God. And he wanted to be able to walk around with the rest of them. Y'all, like I just told y'all fairy tale right there. It's in there. It's in there. It's what you expect to see. And I just pray that God help us to, to raise our expectation. You ever seen God do miracles? Man, I have. Me and my wife, she was telling me this morning. She said, we, she was in there getting ready. I forget what spurred that on. But she was saying, you know, most people, how'd you say that? Most in other words, we saw so much. We've seen miracles. We've, we've seen more than we ever expected to see. But a lot of that's in the past. Now, I got some awesome stories. 1997, 98, when gold dust fell in my church and covered my clothes. And, and some of you won't know what that means. Maybe come next Sunday, I might talk about it. But it's Bob Shadows that was there ministering, and I've stood in in different cities, and, 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 I, and I watched a lady from the first United Methodist Church of this certain city, and I saw Baptists and Methodists and people that said don't even believe in signs, wonders, miracles filled up my church, and I, and, and I saw people be sitting in the church chair at my church at 12 noon for a 7 o'clock start in service, and we had to tell them you got to leave and come back. You can't sit here from 12 noon to 7 tonight because we got to lock the church up you know, and let the people go to, on staff. But I saw people lined up at my church. I had over seven, 800 people in the building, and I had an overflow of 200 in the, in the youth building on closed circuit. And, and people, and for three nights meeting, and people driving from Macon and, and Pensacola, Florida, and, and Tampa, Florida, just to be in one service. And yet, 
Bob Shadows, my buddy, that God was using in tremendous signs, wonders, and miracles. I remember I carried him. I had a doctor in my church, and, and, and he was hurting so bad in his back. And I, I carried him to the doctor and uh, watched the doctor inject his, his uh, back with some uh, steroids and stuff, just trying to help him with the pain. And he asked me, he said, would you walk and grab hold of my uh, belt and just, you know, kind of rotate your knuckles into my low back as I pray for people? Because we, so we would be there to midnight every night praying for people. And he would preach the gospel, give salvation call, and then he'd pray for the sick. And he said, would you just, he said, that just gets that pressure off that sciatic nerve. And I said, I'll do it, Bob. So me, I'm the only one that knew that. This guy's hurting like nobody's business. And yet I watched a little lady come up with Parkinson's. And I'm not making fun. I'm just saying she was noticeable. You know how that disease can do you. My dad even had that before he died. And, and, and just uncontrollable shaking. And she walked up for prayer. And I watched Bob Shadows lay his hands on her head. And she never shook again. She, she never shook again. Totally healed. She went back to her church. I could name the city and all, but I'm just trying to be kind on social media because uh, they might not want this free advertisement. But uh, she went back to her first United Methodist Church, and this is no offense to any denominational group. I'm just saying this happens to be her story. But you know that church family knew this, this older lady. They knew her very well. She's part of their family. But when she returned to her church, not shaken, they inquired as to why. They t she told them why. And told them where. That pastor, because Bob was part of our network of churches. He was ordained with us. Bob told me he got a call from that First United Methodist pastor. And, Bob, and he scheduled Bob for a meeting. Now, Bob didn't live long enough to make it because Bob booked him three years out. That's how far out he was booking. It'd be three years before he could get to that church. And he died before he got there. And then some people would even use that to say, see there, and see there, God killed him. <laughs> I don't know if you need this announcement or not, but this ain't heaven. Satan's not in hell. He's never been, so you can't command him to go back to where he's never been. Stop it. Knock it off. It's religion. I command Satan to go back to the depths of hell from whence he ain't never been there. Not one day. Not one moment. Most of the time, the word hell in the Bible means grave. Very few times does it mean smoke and fire. So you need to get that straight, and that's a whole other story in another sermon that I've already preached before. But the Bible said he's walking to and fro in the earth. So if you want to know where he's at, he's around here somewhere. And, he's, and his purpose is seeking whom he may devour. God's not the devourer. Satan comes to steal, kill, destroy. Okay, that's his, that's his agenda. That's his mode of operation. Don't get confused. God's come to give life. So if it has life, that's God. If it has something that still kills and destroys, so that means cancer steals, kills, destroys, that's not God. God can't give you what he don't have. God's never gave you any cancer because he ain't got cancer and he's not trying to teach you nothing. God sent me to teach you something and he sent a word so you could read something. God's not trying to teach you something. God's not the Godfather. He doesn't break legs to get you attention. He doesn't send tornadoes, hurricanes, storms, or floods to drown a few, kill a few, so that other folks will pay attention. No, he does not. He is a good, good father. That's where we can say Abba, and we never have to fear he's going to lose his temper one day and turn us into charcoal briquettes. 
He has no temper towards you, no anger. You got to read Isaiah. God said, I was angry, but just for a moment. But now he said, this is like the waters of Noah to me. And I swore to Noah, I'd never send a flood to cover the entire earth. So I swear to you that when this new covenant comes, I will never again be angry with you ever again, nor shall I ever remove my kindness from thee. Period. That's God. So any person like me, any preacher that ever presents to you that God's angry, ticked off, upset, going to get you, is not telling the truth. Well, if God's not mad, then it's peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Yeah, now that's Christmas. That's what the angels told the shepherds. That's what he told them. God said, I'm not mad anymore because the answer to all the problems is right here laying in that manger. And so as we go through this season, as we go through this time, man, let's raise our expectations. Most preachers are, you know, kind of like, oh, God, can't wait to get past this, you know, first year because people's got their minds on everything other than, oh, come on, church. We can say, God, help me to see in my heart to burn when I approach you in your word. My heart was burning to me showing that second song. All of them were great, but that second song, when she just kept just pressing in there, the word of God was coming through that song. It was so awesome. It was so awesome. I want you to have greater expectations this year. Amen? Amen. God bless you. you come on, give the Lord praise if you receive it. All right. I want my, uh, I know we got a lot traveling, but my elders and my home group pastors, would y'all come? And, and we, we're just going to give you just like we do every Sunday. We're here to pray with you and for you if you desire that. Uh, if you desire just to run out the back door and trample somebody, no, don't do that. <laughs> we love you guys, and uh, we're here to serve you, and we're here to pray with you and for you for any reason whatsoever. If you want prayer for any reason, greatest reason I could think of is just say, man, I want to put my faith in Jesus today. That's the greatest, greatest thing of all. But we're here to serve you, pray with you, talk with you, and uh, we're going to dismiss the church today. Father, we love and praise you in Jesus' name. God bless you, Grace Point. If you want prayer, please come this way. Turn around and shake your family's hand. Hug their neck. Let them know you love and appreciate them.